Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host David Gill here. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I certainly am. Real quick, before I get into the podcast, I want to say that uh, there's a massive like thunderstorm going on right outside right now. Uh, so if you hear like thunder or rain or like the wind was rattling my <laughs> the window <laughs> before, so hopefully the microphone doesn't pick that stuff up normally. Uh, I've, I'm able to remove the noises, but anyways, if you're if you hear anything like that in the background, uh, I do apologize. But anyways, um, today we got a lot to talk about about censorship and big tech and what to do about all the controversy that's going on around. But real quick, I want to say before I get into it, the Twitter episode that I did last week uh, about how Twitter can get its mojo back was our uh, most shared and listened to and. Uh, I was also an article on our site and uh, read a piece of content yet so far in the past few months that we've been doing The Edge. Okay, there was just a massive, like, thunder. I don't know if the microphone picked it up. But anyways, continue. Uh, It was one of, like, the most popular things we've put out so far. Got hundreds of comments and likes and all that stuff. So anyways, if you didn't listen to it or want to read the article, check it out. I'll put a link in the description. Uh, Marissa also did a podcast about the future of housing, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. So I would certainly give that a listen. Uh, just scroll back in your podcast feed. Anyways, guys, let's talk about what's been going on in all of the uh, controversy today. Let's let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. Today could go down as a landmark day in terms of internet censorship. And, you know, this isn't actually what today's podcast was going to be about, but I decided I had to talk about this because it pertains to so many things in the tech world and things that I've talked about on this podcast before. So I will push my other topic for a later date. So if you don't know what happened today, here's a quick summary. Um, InfoWars and Alec Jones, Alex Jones were removed from Apple Podcast. Then within a few hours, InfoWars was banned from Facebook and YouTube, and I believe Spotify banned them, and Stitcher banned them, and basically almost every major content platform uh, removed InfoWars from their site. Uh, InfoWars, if you don't know, it's a sensationalist news show based around the controversial opinions of Alex Jones. I wouldn't call the show uh, right-wing. I think technically it is, but it's like very far right-wing um, because I wouldn't call it right-wing just because most people on the right don't even agree with the things that he says, right? A lot of the people on the right have disavowed him. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him right-wing, but I would say very, very far right. So that's who he is. If you if you don't know, just Google him. Uh, there's tons of stuff. You'll see he talks about conspiracy theories and all, all types of stuff. So anyways, the, the, the domino effect of all of these content platforms banning him even extended to the behind the scenes like b2b SaaS companies that they worked with banned him from using their service so which honestly i think is more of a pr stunt than anything else like mailchimp which is just a email distribution service decided to ban him and then sprout social which is like a it's like a 
how do I explain it? like a social media tool that you can use that you just can it's like it makes it easier to post so if you post one thing on Twitter then it's easily like shared on like LinkedIn and Facebook and other places if you want to I don't know why they it, like it's kind of like Hootsuite if you ever used that I don't know why they banned him I think it's much more of a PR stunt than anything else I don't think anyone was concerned with him using Sprout Social it's just a a tool to make it easier to post on social media but it's not like an actual platform itself so that was kind of dumb i think they were just taking a getting a cheap getting cheap publicity more than anything else but anyways nonetheless uh he's been banned off of every major content platform except for one and that one is twitter and jack dorsey twitter ceo had this to say about it quote we didn't suspend Alex Jones or InfoWars yesterday. We know that's hard for many, but the reason is simple. He hasn't violated our rules uh, and we'll, we'll enforce if he does. And then he also went on to say, quote, If we succumb and simply react to outside pressure rather than straightforward principles, we enforce impartially regardless of political viewpoints we become a service that's constructed by our personal views that can swing in any direction that's not us so i think jack dorsey hit the core of the problem here uh most of these companies reacted out of fear of oh this other platform banned them so now we have to ban them or else people are going to be mad at us and they also did it out of personal views, right? A lot of these tech companies, it's no secret that they are very left-leaning. Obviously, a lot of them are based in San Francisco, which is, you know, a very left-leaning place. And that's not a problem in and of itself, but obviously it can become problematic when they are the moderators of huge uh, forums of speech, right? If they're going to allow their bias to creep in. But here's the crux of it all, right? Businesses have the right to refuse customers, or in this case, users. Uh, and I stand by that, right? I mean, companies have rights too, just like people do. But these companies also hold content monopolies, right? And being banned from all these social media platforms seriously restricts a person's ability to have their own voice heard in this day and age, right? Being banned off of social media is really like having your voice silenced and you know this time it was a far-right conspiracy theorist but it sets a precedent that they could do this to anyone uh, that's why this is not a left or right issue like a lot of people are making it out to be this is just a free speech issue and listen i'm not a political pundit this is not a political show i don't talk about political things on purpose because I think there's plenty of people out there, and I think most of it is ridiculous. But uh, if you want to hear political commentary, you can go somewhere else. But this is more a, of a situation of, of where it deeply involves technology and the future of technology. And that's why I felt the need to commentate on it. And it's a question of should social platforms be treated the same as a town square, right? In a town square, you have free speech, and you can freely display your opinions whether they're popular opinions or not, right? A classic example is the Westboro Baptist Church, which if you don't know who they are, they're like a very, um, 
um, extreme Christian group, I guess you could say, who, you know, renounce all gays and say that all gays will burn in hell and that if you, you know, any little thing that strays from the Bible or whatever, that you're going to burn in hell, all that. And they'll go with signs outside like gay weddings and, and say, oh, you should all burn in hell. Anyways, there again, another thing, you can Google it if you want. But anyways, uh, they're allowed to do that. Now, a lot of people hate them and a lot of people uh, very much dislike them and think that they're uh, bad, right? They've, they've, uh, I remember one time a few years ago, they like picketed outside of a soldier's funeral because of some thing that it was against their beliefs. I don't remember exactly, but it was like, okay, really, you're going to be outside of a person's funeral. But anyways, they're allowed to do that, right? That's part of their free speech, whether people agree with them or not. That's, that's what free speech is. But in our new digital town squares, that is, you know, social media, private enterprises, these or companies are now allowed to police what is said and small groups of people who were not elected or appointed by anyone uh, in the government or elected by the people. They're just the who happens to be running these companies can now decide what is and isn't hate speech. The question is, is that right? And what's the solution? Government intervention? You know, those are two words that I think most people, including myself, aren't fond of either, right? These are difficult questions. And listen, I don't have the answer to all of them currently. You know, I've read a lot from both sides of the argument, right? One side will say to allow complete free speech, just like we would in a town square, for example, and, you know, disregard each company. But then you're disregarding each company's right to refuse a customer, right? In this case, their customers are users, but, right, they have the right to ban anyone they want to. Now, they don't do it, obviously, very often because people won't use the platform if they're just banning everyone, but they have the right to if they want to. Just like, you know, I have the right to uh, fire a client if, if you know, I dis- if, if they're being mean or something, right? If a customer walks into a store and starts uh, berating the employees or whatever, they can say, hey, leave. They have that right. And so the question is, okay, do we infringe on the company's rights or do we allow the companies to police for hate speech and decide what is and isn't allowed to be said on their platforms but then that's very much violating a person's free speech rights because technically no it's 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 not violating their free speech rights all the way but in this modern age where if you're not on social media you don't exist for all intents and purposes it's a di- it's a difficult dilemma. It really, really is. And you know, I, I will say that censorship, by the way, only seems to have helped Infowars in the wake of all this. Their app on the App Store has surpassed both CNN and the New York Times on Apple's news app rankings. Uh, it's above both of them. I th- believe they're number three on the news app rankings now. Uh, that certainly says something. But you know, it's it these these things are difficult now. What I wanted to kind of side tangent, and one thing that I saw being discussed, especially in the uh, blockchain crypto enthusiast community, is that you know there are platforms that are blockchain based that are alternatives to this, right? A decentralized social platform could be the solution because then you don't have one entity controlling uh, controlling the speech. 
for example, there's a company called, or not a company, but a, a platform called Steemit, uh, S-T-E-E-M, like E-E-M instead of with an A, uh, it.com. We're actually on there, at MGR if you want to follow us. But anyways, um, Steemit is a blockchain-based social media platform, and uh, content creators get paid based on how many likes their content gets. And that's just one example, right? There's also DTube, which is a decentralized YouTube uh, competitor to YouTube. You know, these could work. They're alternatives that run in a decentralized, you know, decentralized way. They don't have any central power controlling them, so you don't have to worry about free speech issues because no one can block another. But you know, the problem with these, and I think we're still very far away from a decentralized platform. Uh, so or a decentralized social network really taking off and reaching the levels of a Facebook or a YouTube or whatever. And that's simply because of network effects, right? All the current platforms have billions of users and great products. So it's going to take a lot for people to want to leave. It's going to take a major screw up, a major thing for people to want to leave these platforms. Even in the face of all this Facebook controversy that's been going on with the rush allegations and election stuff, even in the face of all of that, their user base didn't really shrink. I mean, it, it, it was pretty much flat. That's a, clearly people don't care that much about all of these things. And so it's a question of it's going to it's going to take a lot to migrate people away from these major platforms. And so, yeah, what do you do? Uh, you know, there's no easy answer of any of this. But I think I think it's important we think about the problem reasonably and especially refrain from jumping to one side or the other with our emotions rather than giving it some deep thought before making a, a decision. I really haven't come down on a conclusive opinion of what I think is the best approach yet. And I think that's okay because this has really only been a day of this major controversy. Obviously, this has been talked about before many times, but... Uh, I think people should take their time and not just jump to one side or the other and really think about the consequences, right? Because today it's Alex Jones, and if you're left-leaning, you think that's fine because he's a far-right whatever. But what if tomorrow it's, I don't know, who's someone who's like considered like far-left, maybe Rachel Maddow? I mean, she's not like, a, you know, she's not spewing conspiracy theories or anything, but she would be what a lot of people consider like firmly left, right? Okay, well, what if you know, these platforms decided that Rachel Maddow or someone else who leans very far left uh, should be banned off of the platform because, you know, their opinions are unpopular and a lot of people disagree with them and whatever, right? It could happen to either side. And that's why I said this is not a left-right issue. This is a uh, free speech issue. And this is a who should be in charge of this issue. Should anyone be in charge of this, right? It's 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 certainly something to think about. I just, you know, I think this is bigger than Alex Jones. This is more about the precedent that events such as this set. It's not so much about the individual who happens to be the subject, right? And so I think it's something to certainly think about. Obviously, it's been all the news today. So, yeah, I would just say be a little bit reasonable and really think about the precedent that these these things set and think about what this means for the future. I have again, I haven't come with a conclusive opinion so I don't want to give one and I think you should form your own opinion and not just listen to what some podcaster has to say or what someone on Twitter has to say. I would really think about it and form your own opinion. But anyways, that was my thoughts on it. I think it's a pretty important issue so I wanted to touch on it, but anyways, let's get into the news.
It's time for the news. Elon Musk today announced that he's considering taking Tesla private at $420 per share, which at first many, including myself, <laughs> thought was a joke because he chose the number 420, which, I mean, I don't know why he chose 420, but anyways, a lot of, it was kind of random and he just tweeted on, he just tweeted out basically, I'm considering taking Tesla private at 420. And people were like, is that a joke or is he serious? But anyways, later Tesla sent out a press release detailing that this is a very real consideration. And the reasoning from Elon himself is as follows. And I'm going to quote him here. Earlier today, I announced that I'm, this is, I'm sorry, this is an email he sent out to uh, Tesla employees. So here we go. Earlier today, I announced that I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420 a share. I wanted to let you know my rationale for this and why I think it's the best path, best path forward. First, a final decision has not yet been made, but the reason for doing this is all about creating the environment for Tesla to operate best. As a company, we are subject to wild swings in our stock price. That could be a major distraction for everyone working at Tesla, all of whom are shareholders. Being public also suggests us to the subjects us to the quarterly earnings cycle that puts an enormous pressure on Tesla to make decisions that may be right for a given quarter, but not necessarily right for the long term. Finally, at the most, as the most shorted stock in the history of the stock market, being public means that there are large numbers of people who have incentive to attack the company. I mean, really, this makes sense to me. I understand his rationale completely. Tesla is constantly bombarded by skeptics and short sellers and people in the media who want nothing more than for Tesla to go down. And listen, I'm not, I don't have a problem with those people either. They have the right to do so. I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly, I've said before that, you know, I have mixed feelings about Tesla. I think they're an awesome company. I certainly am rooting for them. I wouldn't invest in them personally. I have never invested in them personally just because their numbers scare me um, as far as their lack of a profit and large amounts of debt. But I root for them. I think that they're a cool company. But I, I understand how it would be a very big distraction, not just for him, but like he said, for the thousands of employees who, you know, they see their shares fluctuating constantly. And that's, you know, that can be your livelihood. That could be a strong portion of your 401k. And obviously, it's never fun to read headlines all the time about how your employer is doomed to fail or whatever. So I understand this. And by going going private, a lot of those voices will go away because they don't have the profit incentive to keep uh, berating Tesla and trying to make Tesla stock go down. So I understand it. Obviously, it's going to go to a shareholder vote. So it's up to the shareholders. It's likely that it will go through. Um, but we'll see. It's not something that will happen you know, immediately, but it, I would expect maybe in six months or so that it could happen. Next up, Snapchat announced their earnings today, and their revenue actually went up by 44% year over year. They're still not profitable, but the bummer news is that for the first time since 2011, their daily active users went down. So it was at 191 million last quarter. It was down to 188 million this quarter. This is not good for a company that's been falling further and further behind its biggest competitor, which is Instagram, who now has a five times larger user base. I've given my thoughts on Snapchat and there are many blunders before, but they need to make some serious changes if they want any hope of catching up. 
And especially, I talked about this with Twitter last week with how Twitter stock could drop another 50% if they don't get back to growth just because of how high their valuation is. But at least Twitter's profitable. Snapchat's not even profitable yet, right? They don't even have a functioning business, right, if you take away the investor's money. So the fact that they're now shrinking their user base and they're not profitable, that's very bad. And their stock could very much drop a lot if they don't uh, get it together. I mean, they've made a lot of mistakes or they've not so much mistakes, but they've just been so inactive in doing things that make sense. Like I've talked about their lack of influencer and creator support on their platform in, you know, Instagram and YouTube and other platforms that they're competing with have tons of support for their creators and influencers and know how much value they bring. Snapchat has done none of that until very, very recently, which is like, you know, it's almost too late to the game. It's it's going to be tough for Snapchat. Obviously, you know, it's yes, it sucks that Instagram copied all your features. But at the same time, you've got to continue to innovate. And they really haven't continued to innovate very much. It's gonna be a tough road for them. I, I, I if I were a Snapchat shareholder, I would I don't know. I'd be a little worried. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, please share it with just one person who you think would also enjoy it. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. It very much helps us. It would mean a lot to me. We're a small podcast. We're just growing. Big dreams. But, you know, if you if you want to help us out, we don't have any ads. We don't do any sponsors or anything. Just free content. All you have to do is leave a review or share it, whatever. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>